You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Um, I'm a father, so it's a happy day for me. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't fishing, sorry, but I guess I'll take it, why not? <laughs> we'll be in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, if you turn there with me in your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, it says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise, it brings healing. Let's pray. Father, um, even as it is Father's Day, um, we're mindful that you're a good father to us, that in Jesus you love us. And so Lord, we come this morning as your children to your word, seeking to be shaped and formed by you, Lord, that we would more and more know you and love you and live well before you as you desire us to. So Lord, may your word do a sanctifying work in our hearts and our lives and Lord, we do lift up so many today who uh, have lost their fathers. Lord, those who are grieving and uh, feel lonely today on Father's Day, may they be reminded of your uh, loving care as a heavenly Father, Lord, in their hearts and their lives, Lord. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we just pray, Lord, in this time your spirit would speak to us. May we hear this in Jesus' name. Amen. Karl Marx, 19th century philosopher, uh, economist, social revolutionary is noted for once having said, Give me 26 lead soldiers and I will conquer the world. And of course, he was not talking about actual people. Uh, he was talking about letters. He was talking about words. And that's a very witty, clever statement, but it's also soberingly true. Uh, from uh, the Russian Revolution to uh, the not-too-far-gone Soviet Union, to communist China today, to many world leaders, many countries, Marxism serves as a framework for how people view, uh, view societies, how, how, how uh, economics should be run. So yes, it is a funny statement, but it's very, very true. And you have to consider, uh, did Karl Marx, did he wield weapons? Did he lead legions of soldiers into battle? Uh, was he a, a mighty commanding officer that, that stormed the globe? Was he a powerful dictator that forced his thoughts, forced his ideas on others? No, he did not. Karl Marx, for better or worse, understood the power of words and he used his words well, very well. As followers of Jesus Christ, do we understand the power of our words? Do we understand to what end we are to use them? Do we have the wisdom necessary to wield our words in a manner that God would have us do? If we think little of our ability to speak, to use our words, we think little of the greatest means by which God is using his people in the world today. The power of our words. The power of our words. That's what I want us to consider this morning. Look back at verse 18 with me. He says, there, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So he said, there, there is a person who, 
who uses their words in such a way that they're, they're so rash, they're, they're so careless, they're so thoughtless, they're so inconsiderate. It's, it's a gossiping slander, slandering word, it means. It's a word that's poisonous. <clears throat> it's a word that bites. It's a word that devours. And this person uses their rash words in such a way that it serves to thrust like a sword. It pierces, it cuts, it destroys, it wounds, it afflicts another person's soul. The writer says there is one whose rash words does these things to other people. We live in an age of the internet, social media, in which a lot of people assume they have a license to say whatever they want, uh, whenever they want, about whatever they want, all the time with little or no real consequences. Perhaps we've lost the value and consequences of a spoken word. Uh, In the ancient world in which Solomon lived, words, uh, they had greater value. Uh, Words, they had had a much more important role. Um, Oral transmission was the greatest method by which people learned, by which people communicated. So no computers, uh, no videos, no tablets, not paper as we know it. First-hand hearing and memorizing was key to learning. Baker's Encyclopedia says, in a mainly non-literary society, the the dependability of the spoken word was all important in law, trade, religion, marriage, and reputation. Receipts, agreements, and records had little general usefulness. Personal integrity and sincere speech were essential to communication. And for most people, people to self-expression and stable relationships. So in such societies as these, it was more fully understood. We need to regain it today. What you say has an undeniable link to who you are. As we consider the power of our words, I want us to see from this proverb a couple ways in which we can use our words. First thing, be careful. Are your words life Taking. Are your words life taking? Our words don't reveal simply the content of our minds, rather, they reveal the condition of our hearts. Um, A word spoken, it, it doesn't stand on its own. Words don't speak themselves, do they? Of course not. People speak words. Words then are intimately connected with the one who chose to utter them. So it's it's critical to understand. What you say is so often a crystal clear window into who you really are. Consider how Jesus would say it in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you got to go beneath the surface of the proverb here, get to the greater, get to the weightier issue. If what you find is that you have a capacity to speak a life-taking, rash, careless word, that wounds, that afflicts, that penetrates another person's soul, you've got to face the shocking and uncomfortable reality. You just don't have the capacity to speak a life-taking word. You yourself are a life-taking person. 
You cannot disconnect what you say from who you are. We hold incredible power in our tongues and we ought to be oh so wise as to the damage we may incur. The apostle James gives a striking vision of the life-taking tongue. Consider it in James chapter 3 verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond, pond yield fresh water. Brothers, sisters, as the family of God, it ought not be so. It's the height of spiritual hypocrisy for us to claim the holy, righteous God of the universe as our God. He set us apart in his holiness. He set us apart in his righteousness. And yet we show ourselves to be frauds by speaking from the unrighteous fountain, speaking from the unrighteous well with in. And of course, the war against the flesh, it rages on. Of course it does. But there ought to be a noticeable pattern of victory in your life. There ought to be a noticeable pattern of you taming your tongue as your heart is surrendered more and more to Jesus Christ. And what we're showing about ourselves when we speak a life-taking, careless, rash word that bruises, that afflicts other people, is there's still yet a defilement within us, a staining on us like James said. There's so much we've yet to surrender to Christ. Jesus said it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out. So you've committed the sin of having wronged your brother, of spoken a rash, careless, evil word. And at the same time, you reveal that you've got a staining and defilement on you. We stand in radical need of repentance as God's people. When we speak this way, it should not be so. There ought to be heavy conviction from the Holy Spirit. And if you find in yourself an ability to speak a life-taking, careless, rash word that wounds and afflicts other people with little or no conviction from the Spirit of God, you ought to set aside some time to discern the real state and nature of your heart and soul. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie. What a lie. People take their own lives because of a careless, reckless word spoken against them that so wounded and afflicted their soul. have not dealt with years and years and years of grief and heartache because of a careless word that broke them. Friends, words hurt. Words beat down. Words destroy. Far be it from the people of God to make such a mockery of the Christian faith. The life-taking tongue that bruises, that wounds, that's so rash and careless that it destroys another soul. That tongue ought to be the furthest thing from the mouth of the people of God. As it is, God's enemies are the ones that talk this way. 
Look at it. Psalm 57, 6 through 10. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, belling with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. But you, O oh Lord, you laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look and triumph on my enemies. So David longs for rescue from the ones who speak an evil, reckless, careless word against him. They don't think there is a God to which they're accountable to, all the while they're incurring judgment. So it's, it's not even like it's like off color, like you probably shouldn't. It's like less than recommended. It's just not nice to speak a life-taking, careless, rash word that wounds and afflicts others. It's of the nature of those who are vehemently against God and his people. It's against the nature of God himself. So see, we hold in very high regard then Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So don't you think, think about it. If the God of the universe is taking time to keep a special tab of every word you let out of your mouth, if it is, as Jesus said, if that's true, should we not take very special care that we, we discern, we consider every word that we dare utter from our mouths, every attitude, every emotion of our heart be in line with what God considers righteous and holy and pure for his people? Probably so. Should we not gain a working biblical knowledge of the incredible power and consequences of a life-taking word, a life-taking tongue? A while back, I was talking to a friend of mine about a mutual friend of ours, and he just came up in conversation. And after a while, I found myself sharing a lot of frustrations, frustrations with this person, uh, things about him that I didn't like, things that annoyed me about him. And after a while, I found the Holy Spirit like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you saying that stuff? And I had to cut myself off and I had to say to the guy, I, I shouldn't have said any of that. There was no sense in saying it. Um, I, I was wrong to do it. I feel convicted for it. And you say, well, you weren't saying four-letter words. What's the big deal? I wasn't. Don't worry. Because God's people have a very special calling to reflect God. And every single word that comes out of our mouth should never be anything that's life-taking, that hurts, that bruises, that tears down. You should take special care concerning every word that comes out of your mouth, regardless of the situation. And it applies to any situation. I mean, the examples are myriad. Husband, wife, you think it's normal? You think it's okay that you tear one another apart? You rip one another down? You say, why well, you can't stand one another? You say, oh, that's just our relationship. It's just how we work. It's not how you work. You're being unfaithful to the God you say you belong to. You're in a life-taking relationship. Son, daughter, you think it's normal to slam the door in mom and dad's face? Tell them why they annoy you? Well, you don't know my mother. Sometimes she just needs to hear it from me. She doesn't need to hear it from you. You're wounding and afflicting your mother and your father's soul. You're incurring judgment. about gossip at work? Oh, it's not a big deal. That guy gets on everybody's nerves. Sometimes we just need to vent about how we can't stand that dude. No, you're ruining your Christian witness. The difference between a gossip and a slander and a concerned friend is like the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. Both cut meat but for very different reasons. We ought to be warned 
God notes the manner in which we wield our words, and we will give account for it someday. Are your words life-taking? The power of our words. The power of our words. Look back at verse 18. So he says, there, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So there is, it carries the idea of there is an existence. There, there is someone who is, what's true about them is, one, they use rash, careless words that pierce, that thrust, that destroy people. That person is in existence. But now Solomon says, there is another person in existence. There's there's a wise person. And this wise person, his tongue, his words, his speech, what he says, it brings, it's the idea of carrying. It's even the idea of gathering. And this person's tongue, it carries, it gathers in healing. It gathers in deliverance. It, It gathers in a cure. It's like good medicine, it means. That wise person, their tongue, it carries, it brings in wise healing to those to whom they go, to everyone. It's what's true of their character. It's what's true of their existence. Recall the purpose of wisdom is not behavior modification. Uh, uh, Solomon doesn't want his sons just to be able to use their words well, like a dog and a cheap trick. He wants their person to be saturated in the wisdom of God. It's character transformation. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And someone who has the inability to ever speak a life-taking word and only ever, no matter what, utter a life-giving word is one who has not just learned a piece of information. It's one who has been saturated in the wisdom of God, one who has been transformed by God. Anybody can speak a good word when it's suitable in the company of the right people, perhaps when it's profitable. But to refrain from speaking a life-taking, rash, careless, evil word and only ever utter a life-giving, healing word that blesses, that builds up those around you, that's transcendence of the highest kind. That's someone who's conformed not to the reactive nature of the flesh, right? Because the flesh, it wants to assert itself. The flesh, it wants to preserve itself. But that person has been conformed to God's standard of holiness and righteousness. That person has eyes, has ears, has a mouth, has a heart to bring healing, to bring blessing to any and all people, no matter what. Why? Because it's simply what's true of their character. It's what's true of their person. It's what's true of their existence as they've seen it from, learned it from their father. Be careful, one, you have the choice to speak words that are life-taking. Two, be careful, are your words life-giving? Are your words life-giving? Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your 
Father is merciful. Very similar to what Paul says in Romans 12. Never curse those who curse you. Always be a blessing, Paul says. The wisdom of God then ought to lead the people of God to speak a life-giving healing word to any and all people because it reveals the heart of their God. We have the blessed privilege. We have the divine obligation to be extensions of God's love, God's grace, God's mercy in a merciless, graceless, dying world, falling apart more and more every day, dying in its own filth, dying in its own rot. So the measure and degree to which you speak a life-giving, healing word to any and everyone around you is the measure and degree to which you understand your privileged role in God's grand redemptive story of humanity. To the people and places you go, do you carry the mantle of one who has the divine obligation to speak a life-giving word that delivers from a world system that promises life, it promises happiness, but in the end, it only produces death. It only produces despair. Are we known for being people who bring encouragements, who, who build up, who give wise counsel, wise instruction that's God-centered, that's Christ-centered, that's transcendent, that's otherworldly? Are, are we speaking out of the life that we ourselves say we have found in Christ, that we have found in God? Surely our words aren't neutral. Surely we don't waste our words given the opportunity when we're around people to speak life, to speak healing. God has have mercy if that's the description of us. Well, that person is a Christian, I guess. I don't know. They seem to be like anyone else. They've never said anything that's particularly life-giving. Just a, another religious person, just a, a good moral person, I guess. That church seems to be like any other religious organization. They hold services, I guess. I, I've never heard them say something that's strikingly life-giving, that says something of, of the God whom they serve, just like anybody else. But far be it to be true, folks. Because we're not like anybody else. We're agents of the God who speaks life where there is none. We're agents of the God who gives hope when there is none. And again, not just to the people that we like, not just to those who we prefer. God's called us to go to all people in all places. The natural man has a heart for those he prefers, those he likes. But it is supernatural to desire to bring healing, bring a blessing, bring life to those who are different from you, even your enemies, as Jesus said, to speak life into all people. Because we know we don't deserve the free life that we received in God, though we were once enemies. So who are we to keep that same life from those who need it, even if they're different from us or they're considered our enemies, as if God showed the same biased contempt against us? If God did that, none of us would have life. Yet God was gracious and merciful, so should not we be as well? It's true, should be true of our existence that we speak life, speak healing in any and all places to any and all people. And in a lot of ways, it culminates and comes back to what I talked about last week. Just as God is disciplining us to the standard of his word, in the very same way, if you don't know scripture, if you don't know the word, what life-giving word are you going to give? You think anybody needs to hear your perspective? No. You think anybody needs to hear my perspective? Absolutely not. David says, I hide your word in my heart so I don't sin against you. So when I've, got, when I've got the eternal word of God in my heart, it's that fountain that I'm going to be speaking from. I'm going to be speaking from the word of God that I know and I love and I've mastered. We are people who speak true life to any and all people in any and all places. It's what's true. It's what ought to be true of our existence as the people of God. Ephesians 4.29. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you look around this room, you will not notice a minority 
or a majority of Guatemalans. Now, if you're Guatemalan, that's fine. But we so often go to Guatemala, uh, not because we just like to go to Central America, but because God has opened a door for us to bring healing, to bring hope where there is none, just as we have freely received it. It's why we go, not just to put good into the world, it's so much more than that. And it, on a very practical level as well, it is Father's Day, so I plug my own dad, but I would do it anyways because I, I have a great dad. Um, I can remember even from a, a very young age, my dad constantly um, teaching me the fear of the Lord. My dad teaching me to revere scripture. My dad counseling me from the word of God. Even today, I can call my dad up on the phone and he has a word of encouragement that's, that, that's, that's biblical, that's from God for me when I'm going through a different difficult seasons of my life. My dad's never been anything but life-giving to me. And so I'm very thankful to God for my, for my dad, for my father. And if you have a dad like that, don't fail to tell your dad on Father's Day, thank you for being a faithful man of God. And perhaps that's a special word, I think, to fathers today, even young fathers. Are we going to be a generation of men in the church that raise up life-giving, God-fearing men and women of God who, who see the world, see everything through the lens of Scripture from God's perspective? What's our legacy going to be? Good godly fathers, I'm afraid, are in short supply these days. But don't be neutral with your words. See the people, see the places that God has put in your life. How is God using you to bring his truth, to bring his life to those places? God will use you. Are you available to speak on his behalf? The power of our words, power of our words. I said last week, we cannot cannot see any of these proverbs disconnected, disjointed from what it means to be a follower of Jesus today. If you can view anything in wisdom literature uh, apart from the lens of, of Jesus Christ, then, then we failed miserably. If we could consider good moralistic behavior, uh, uh, if we could consider some lofty point of theology and doctrine, and it not give us a grander vision of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, we've made some grievous mistake. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Church, should we be so quick to tame our tongues that we don't speak a life-taking word that shows us to be hypocrites, that shows us to be unfaithful from the God we say we belong to? Yeah, absolutely. And should we be quick to speak a life-giving word that, that's scriptural, that, that, that's, that's centered on the truths of God's word to any and all people we go bringing blessings? Absolutely we should. But let me tell you the wisest, most powerful, greatest way you could ever use your words. The greatest, most powerful, wisest way that you could ever use your words is to speak of the greatest, most life-giving revelation and word that ever came from God, and that is Jesus Christ. The power of our words proceed from the power of the word. The power of our words proceed from the power of the word. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Paul says it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul believes that if someone could hear the gospel, they would receive true life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whatever words you could say, friend, if you are one of God's, if you are a follower of Jesus, you must speak the good news of Jesus Christ. You must herald the gospel. You must be an evangelist. It's not for some, it's for all. Do you truly believe that life is found in Jesus Christ? That Jesus left heaven in submission to the Father. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for a year in my sins and he rose victorious and he offers that resurrected perfect life to any and all who'd receive it. Does that life count to you? Does that life matter to you? Because the measure to which that life matters to you and you love it is the measure to which you will be obedient and faithful to share the gospel message to those who need to hear it. Do you love it? You've got to discern that before you even think about speaking it. Do you love that Jesus, if you have life in him, you'll hate sin? You'll hate speaking off-color words. You'll hate participating in sin. You'll love righteousness. You'll love holiness. You'll see people as Jesus sees people. You want to serve and give yourself away. You'll see the whole creation through the lens of bringing God glory. I mean, have you really found life in Jesus? Don't fool yourself with religion this morning. You've got to discern that for yourself. Stories told of Harry Winston, who was one of the world's greatest jewel merchants. One day he watched one of his salesmen show a beautiful diamond to a rich Dutch merchant. The customer listened thoughtfully to the expert description. but He eventually turned away, saying, it's a wonderful stone, but not exactly what I want. Winston stopped the customer on his way out and asked, do you mind if I show you that diamond once more? The merchant agreed. Winston took the stone in his hand. He did not repeat anything the salesman had said. He simply talked about the gem as an object of deep beauty. Abruptly, the customer changed his mind and bought the diamond. While he was waiting for it to be brought to him, he turned to Winston and said, Why did I buy it willingly from you, though I had no difficulty saying no to your salesman? Winston answered, That salesman is one of the best men in the business. He knows diamonds. But I love them. Friend, do you love the gospel? Are you grateful for grace? Are you thankful for what Jesus did in you? Please don't let the gospel be part of your life. The gospel must be your life. I'm not asking you if you like the gospel, if you agree with the gospel, if you're fond of the gospel. The demons know all about the gospel and they're not any more saved. Friend, you yourself, have you forsaken all to find life in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because until you do, until that is the beautiful diamond that you observe, you're not going to desire it for other people. It'll be too hard to plead with people. It'll be too inconvenient in this life. Do you love the gospel? The answer lies in your obedience to share it. Wouldn't you like to see, wouldn't you like to see a revival in our time? And you say, oh, that's impossible. Our country's too far gone. Don't you see the legislation they passed? Don't you see what's going on in our world? Friend, that's a small faith. Do you really believe that the gospel has power to bring dead people back to life? God's been doing it since Jesus ascended to heaven and he's gonna do it until Jesus comes back. Let's be people of strong faith that love our Lord and Savior. Let's be faithful and open our mouths. Don't waste your life, but please don't waste your words. Speak the gospel. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, forgive us for not, for not dwelling on that incomprehensible truth that only by your grace you've loved us, you've called us out, you've chosen us to experience life, to know the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. You, you freely gave your son, Jesus Christ, that he would lay his life down, that he would die so that we could truly live. God, we don't want to get over the gospel. And God, forgive us for having done so. Father, can you break our hearts for the lost? God, may the people all around us in every sphere of our life, may we see them with the eyes of Jesus. May we desire that they have the abundant life in Jesus that we have. And God, if we've forgotten what that means, God, if we've forgotten what that looks like, oh Lord, that we would get away with you and your word. And Father, that your spirit would remind us of the joy and the blessing of being set free from sin, from death, from shame, and being given the gift of eternal life, of joy inexpressible in Jesus. Oh, that that would be enough for us this morning. So Father, we pray, take our tongues. Oh Lord, that we would never speak as dead people speak. Oh Father, that we would speak as those who are from the land of the living. Lord, and we are among the living because Jesus, you graciously gave us your life. So Lord, may we be faithful to go out to the darkness. Lord, as you did, and preach a saving message. Oh, Father, that the power of the gospel will rest heavy on our hearts and our minds today. Oh, Father, move us to obedience. Move us to love. Oh, move us to lay our lives down for your name's sake in all things. And Father, as we pray it, we know the victory is ours because the victory is Christ's and we are in Christ. So we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.